Good evening, crew, section crew, and welcome back to the Second Section Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Dorsch, and tonight we got a real awesome show lined up for you. We're going to do a broken rail show tonight um, on the topic of 3D printing. So joining me tonight is um, my co-host, Mike Ostertag. Mike, how you doing? Great. It's hot. It is hot. Yep. There it is. There's the weather talk that uh, that Bernard was talking about. But we got an all-star panel tonight um, to talk about the the topic of 3D printing in, in model railroads. So without any further dilly-dally, let's get right into our guests here. So tonight uh, we have Bernard, is it Helen? Yep. Bernard Helen um, from, from Mini Prints. Hi, Bernard. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. And yes, it is pretty toasty here in Toronto. So warm, warm night. It's a warm night all around. We have James Wilmus. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. And then um, we have, looks like Robert Frischella is joined us once again here on the second section. Welcome. Welcome, Bob. How are you doing this evening? We're doing great, and it's actually uh, cool here in New England. So, ah, it's cooler than it is elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. And uh, just to to kick it off here, um, we got twenty nine uh, people in the chat tonight already. Um, we let me just go through the crew here: um, Dan's Model Railroading Journey, Thomas, Chris, Joe Deluso. Dodo One Ops and the Chicago Northwestern Mondovi Line and HO Scale. Then we got uh, Thomas Imlay and Thomas Klamoski. Adam Cruz is here. Otter Creek and Rio Grande. Scott Thornton is out there. The Boomer Dioramas is in the room tonight. Eric from IMRRO.com. Tim D., uh, Soko Olds 455, Randall Ellison, JT Medic, um, all in the house. And I just want to say thanks for joining us tonight. Um, the rules if for the folks in the chat are as follows. Let's keep the, the, the questions, comments, and subject matter around topics of model railroading, 3D printing. That way I don't have to boot you. Don't want to do that. Um, but feel free to interact with our guests this evening. Ask questions. Um, and, and we'll pause the show at any time to get everything up and running. So um, to kick things off tonight, I, I want to uh, just go into a little bit of a deep dive of our guests. Um, we'll start with Bernard, and then we'll just kind of go around the screen here. Um, and, and, and Bernard, why don't you go ahead, give yourself a little introduction, um, your model railroad interest, and then uh, what is it that you do in the world of 3D printing? Sure. Um, I'm a recovering graphic designer, so I ran my own. Hi, Bernard. Not recovering too much, but, you know, yeah, cheers. Um, I ran my own graphic design and marketing agency for uh, 30 years, uh, and the model railroad aspect of my life started only about seven, eight years ago. Uh, as really a creative outlet. So I, I come into the model railroading hobby, uh, basically the, from the love of scenery and sure. didn't really know that much about railroading. And over the last eight years have come to really appreciate 
you know, everything associated with it. And, and I've, you know, really developed an, a love and an interest in operations. Oh, fantastic. So I went from a, a design approach to really sort of wanting to know more. Um, two years ago, I've been running mini prints for the last just over two years. Okay. It was two years in April. And two years ago, like a lot of people, my design business uh, went to zero as a result of COVID uh, and everything was locked down and my customers just were not in business anymore. Sure. Uh, so I had to do what a lot of people did was pivot. And coincidentally, just as my design business was kind of winding down, I discovered the whole 3D printing thing. Okay. And my journey to sort of a, an accidental model railroad manufacturer uh, really began uh, because I needed an HO scale beaver for my own layout. So I model uh, the Quebec Gatineau, which is a Genesee and Wyoming short line. Uh, and I model, I've got a basement layout that's the biggest part of it is a room that's 30 feet by 10 feet. And I model uh, the Genesee and Wyoming short line uh, from mm. Quebec City to Montreal with a focus on the Port of Trois Rivières. And I needed an HO scale beaver, as I'm sure a lot of people have heard the origin story, but I needed one. So I thought, you know, I'd make one. Um, I showed a friend, sent a few out to friends, put it on Facebook. That's that's the origin right there. That's the guy. Uh, <laughs> and um, that's really what started this insanity is, is the <laughs> desire for that for my layout. And you know, oops, here I am now. And it's, uh, it's been a bit of a crazy journey. That's fantastic. So, um, so, so many prints, um, you know, you, you guys, um, certainly, you know, you've been out there for a little bit now. Um, why don't you just, uh, quick, tell us about the, the shop itself, uh, all the things that you dive into and, uh, and, um, what it's all about. Um, sure. Well, um, Mini Prince started with that beaver and led to a couple of other critters like a moose. And, you know, then I started to work my way through pretty much every animal there is um, and uh, got, you know, everything on here is either something that I wanted for my layout or a request that somebody had. Yeah. Uh, and then after sort of exhausting the world of flora and fauna, um, I started to play around with figures, oh, uh, and I really have been having a lot of fun, um, with sort of, you know, my, my model railroaders because I model, uh, modern day freight operations. Yep. There just weren't a lot of, uh, figures out there. I mean, the things that I could get from Prizer or Woodland Scenics or, right. you know, any of the typical manufacturers, they're all great, but they're all sort of. You know, stuck in 1954 with a red kerchief and a, a blue hat. Yeah. So I wanted something a little bit more, you know, modern. Right. Uh, and that led to this sort of the custom cruise line that you're on. Yeah, right here. Yeah. And, you know, and that one, the one you're on right there, number three, is a great example because somebody said, can you make a guy with a remote control belt pack? So, you know, it's really, it's all sort of grown organically by requests you know someone will have a good idea and say what about this and i can't make everything but a lot does end up getting made yeah right um and then you know one thing just leads to another and then you know figures led to i start to do objects 
Um, you know, and Ooh, these the collections awesome. grown. It's, it's grown over the last uh, two years. The things that I really enjoy, yeah, uh, are the things that are fun, odd, weird, different, silly. This. You know, I like the things that you know. Everything's based on stuff you see in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That was another request. Someone asked me, my, actually, my, actually, it's kind of funny because I had a bathtub and they said, well, what about a bathtub Madonna? I said, I have no idea what that is. Oh yeah. And, my grandma and grandpa had one in their front yard. Oh, there's well, a, there's, there's people that are just on the road that have one in their yeah. front yard. Well, yeah. actually scroll down on that page because the other thing I like to do, you know, model railroaders are really interesting, curious people. So for a fascinating history of the bathtub Madonna, you can <laughs> click on that link right there. Our lady of the clawfoot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm oh, aim- <laughs> I know it's, it's there, <laughs> there really is a prototype for everything, right? Yeah. So I'm <laughs> anal enough, you know, I guess OCD enough that I like to go down the rabbit hole. So if I'm, you know, someone asked me, I had a bathtub. Someone asked me for a bathtub. It's not that hard to go out and scan or find a, a Madonna. And it's not that hard to sort of mash the two together. Uh, and there, there is a perfect example of mini prints because it's odd. It's different. It's something that I've never seen anyone else produce, which is important to me because I don't, you know, some things you have to just, everybody has, you know, their pylons, but I like to do things that aren't on the market that are a little bit different. And I like to do things that are a little bit cheeky and fun. Yeah. I mean, and you're, it's, it's really filling uh, a niche within the market. That's for sure. I mean, I like some of the, the, the modern, the the modern crew and just the the fun details i spent myself or I, I caught myself spending about an hour and a half just going through each one of 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 the characters that you have on screen here and just looking for that 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 story behind it i think that's fantastic it's 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 really become it's become a passion project and it's become a lot of fun and i mean we'll talk about this you know i'm sure james and bob have you know theories on this too but it's really interesting when your hobby becomes your job yeah and um you know that is oh thanks dj that's really nice appreciate that comment um dj came up and visited uh last sunday a week ago last sunday uh, which was great to meet him i've been a big fan of his videos for years Um, and uh learned a lot an awful lot and it goes back to my comment about you know not really knowing anything about railroading uh but um you know really appreciating you know what goes into you know moving you know transporting goods from a to b yeah well that's 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 a fantastic intro bernard and uh just just to note for you um I did put um, your your link to your uh, website in in the show notes here on on the YouTube, and it will be in the audio as well. So awesome, sure. thank you. Uh, and again, uh, I have to say it hashtag not sponsored. So <laughs> you know this, we're just asking them to be here out of the out of the goodness of their hearts. So uh, hashtag not sponsored. Go check out Mini Prints. They got a lot of fun stuff out there, and um, really excited. Really excited to to dive into three D printing with you tonight. So, um, 
James uh, Wilmus uh, joins us. So you're a fan of the show, and you mm-hmm. also um, have a, an interest in in model railroading and 3D printing. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Sure, and I will preface this just so the audience knows. I got a poor internet connection because I'm way out in the sticks in the western South Dakota. I do have a plan B, so if I do cut out, I might be coming back in. It just takes me a little bit to reset up something further in town. I'm only a few minutes out of town, but for some reason I got terrible signal. Anyways, hopefully we'll uh, hopefully I'll get through this. So. Um, my model railroading journey, it started pretty much at birth. I grew up in Glenwood, Minnesota. Okay. For anybody who might know where that is. Big junction there for the Sioux Line and then the CP Rail there, western Minnesota. Okay. Uh, we were just had our house about a third of the mile off the tracks there. Our driveway crossed it. And I've just been seeing trains my whole life. So, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much how it started for me. And then when I was 15, I moved out here to Rapid City, South Dakota. And that's when the model railroading thing really <laughs> kicked into gear. So um, there's a museum up in Hill City, South Dakota, as well as the 1880 train, which is a heritage railroad. I started volunteering there at that museum. And it was new at the time. Now it's about 10, 11 years old. So that's where my hobby really started coming in to fruition. Um, after that, I went off to college in Montana, and that's when I found out about this cool thing called 3D printing. Nice. <laughs> I took a few classes on CAD design, but the 3D printing aspect is still brand new to me. So I'm only mm, a few weeks, few months maybe into my journey there for 3D printing. Okay. So you're just starting... You're just starting out then. Yeah, pretty much. And I got designs going, but it's, you know, always a work in progress with this sort of thing. Sure. So what type of um, modeling interests do you have then? So so, so I'm going to guess, uh, like Bernard, um, you're, you're in this to make things for yourself first and foremost, right? Um, so so what... So what, what is your specific interest? You talked about the 1880 train is... Is that your genre or is it something else? Yeah, so it, it's kind of hard to explain to people that haven't been to the Black Hills, but the Black <laughs> Hills of South Dakota have a very peculiar railroad history. Okay. And some of it, like Otto Perry, documented some of the lines that were out here back in the day. So we got black and white historical photos. We have the Homestake Mining Company. That's, uh, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest, gold mining operation at nice. one point in the world. Wow. And the, the first locomotive in the Black Hills is 1878. That was before there were even any mainline railroads coming out to the area. Uh, there's all sorts of narrow gauge, that sort of thing. So as far as my interests go, a lot of it is trying to, I want to use 3D printing as well as other tools to replicate the... Uh, replicate a lot of the historical stuff that was in the Black Hills at the time. So we're talking about everything from little compressed air locomotives all the way up to these big, it's called a Class T2 Malay. These are 2662 engines. Yeah, There's about half a dozen of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, half a dozen. They ran up in the Black Hills. So that's my that's sort of my goals and my interests. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Um, and then do you have a 3D printer right now? 
Actually, I have two. One is a filament and the other is resin. They're right behind me here. Oh, nice. Very nice. Wonderful. So that's, I mean, so it sounds like uh, just getting back from college or just getting out of college, it's time to get back into the hobbies, right? Yeah, it's not about <laughs> 60 hours a week that I don't have anything else to do, so. There you go. Well, that's a good intro there, uh, James. Welcome to the show. It sounds like a lot of people in the chat are familiar with uh, your neck of the woods, so to speak. So uh, feel free to uh, interact with the folks there um, as we bring them up on screen. Um, and then uh, veteran of the show, uh, Robert Frischella, how are you doing? Just call me Bob. <laughs> Just call you Bob. Call All me right. Bob. Just call you Bob. Very good. Welcome back to the second section. Um, for those who haven't uh, been introduced to you, would you would you do us the honor and, and, and give us a little bit of an introduction? Okay. Thanks, Andy. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I, I'm a retired civil engineer, so I have plenty of time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I've always been in S-scale. I have never modeled in any other scale for more than 50 years now. I've, I've uh, had this passion for, for modeling in S, the true craftsman scale. And I've <laughs> <The> always, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I need one of those adult beverages too. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Um, but in anyway, over the years, I've always uh, considered myself a, uh, uh, rather passionate about scratch building things. If it's not available in S, you have to build it. Yep. And, right. uh, you know, I became very proficient in trying to build models using, gosh, back in the day, it would be basswood and cardboard. And, right. and then uh, pro progressing to styrene, and you can build some unbelievable things in styrene. Um, but then about 10 years ago, I switched my modeling era from the transition era to modeling the Delaware and Hudson in 1977. And that's where it became a challenge in S because I think you can, you can model the transition era and the steam era fairly well in S scale because there's plenty of commercial models available. Yeah. But the challenge is trying to find second generation diesel locomotives. They're just yep. not there. Nope. So I thought to myself, well, why not? Why not build them? And um, in 1977, the DNH inherited a bunch of locomotives from, from Conrail's predecessor railroads, like the uh, the Lehigh Valley and the Reading, mm -hmm. you know, C420s, uh, GP38s, GP39-2s. None are available on S scale. Not even close. Uh, about the closest thing to a GP38-2 is a GP35, which is what three three feet shorter and looks right. completely different. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can scratch build one out of styrene. And I started with some really good plans of the C420, which I've always loved the century series of Alco locomotives. Oh, yeah. I thought they were, they were, had that look of power and, uh, and were able to pull as good as they look. So I, I wanted to have some uh, late model Alcos on my layout. So I get out the styrene, start scratch building it and did the frame and the, and the pilots and it all looked great. And then I got to the, to the, the hoods. Well, they curve in two different directions. The roofs are 
parabolic curves and the ends curve the other way <laughs> and try doing that in styrene shapes yeah, so. basic shapes that's a tough basic, basic shape, shape. Right. <laughs> there was an old joke once in model railroad or in uh and uh it was uh it was uh, about a basic car kit and inside the kit was a block of wood and the instruction says carve it to look like a box car so, <laughs> yeah basic shape. all right but um anyway so about the same time, I read an article in um, uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist Mac Magazine by, uh, I think it was Jack Burgess, on the basics of how to do 3D design and creating parts or having parts printed on Shapeways. And this was about 2015, I believe. Yeah. I studied the article, learned how to do the 3D design and started coming up with parts, parts I couldn't scratch build or were impossible to find in S scale. And so that from that, I was able to create the, the um, short hood cab and long hood for the C420, which enabled me to finish that locomotive. And then I thought, well, that was easy. <laughs> I, I think, well, for my next attempt, we'll, we'll do the GP38-2. So yeah. I was, I was online at one time and, and, um, indicating in a chat room that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build this only I can't get good plans or dimensions. And, and Mike chimes in, uh, Mike Ostertag chimes in and says, well, I have, I have a GP 38 dash two sitting in the yard here. What dimensions do you need? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little did I know what I was getting into. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So Has it Mike been a blast, was, though? <laughs> Mike was crawling all over that GP38-2, measuring things that that aren't readily apparent on uh, commercial plans that that um, you know can be found in Model Railroad or, or RMC. You know, like mm -hmm. you know, how do you get the curvature right on the fuel tank, or uh, you know, what is the what are the dimensions of the handbrake? <laughs> right. I, I got some I got some really weird looks at work when I was crawling around by the fuel tank. <laughs> what are you doing? There? What are you? I'm like, never mind. You'll never mind. It doesn't concern you. It doesn't. So Mike Mike would measure this stuff up. Do it. Do a little sketch right there in the cab, probably. <laughs> I I have some of the sketches right here. Here's a here's a sketch of one of the. Uh, I think this is the light, like the under cab lights. Yeah, um, yeah. So I would send this. I'd take a picture of this with my phone and send it to Bob and say, "Here, can you work with this?" And he'd be, and like two hours later, "Hey, how's this look?" And there's the part. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And, and what? And the one thing is, to Bob, if you remember the very first conversation we had about this was, you said, "Hey, how does this look?" And my first comment is, "You're missing the door on the top of the walkway." Here, hold on a minute. I'm going to go measure it. I went out and measured it, sent him the thing. And, and oh, by the way, here's the here's the file for the knuckle busters for the yep. for the door for the latches uh, and, and stuff. And, and that's from there. I have crawled all over one of those engines. So we I got to I got to bust in with a question from Split Rock here. And he says, so am I the only guy to work on models uh, in the cab of a locomotive? I mean, that's a valid question for the railroaders in the, in the group. So, Well, seeing as how you're, <laughs> yes, 
Yes, Tom. Yes, you are. Yeah, because some of us actually work at our job. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Bob. Yeah. Um, so, so then you, you started, you started interacting with, with Mr. Ostertag here and, 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 and that sets you on uh, sale on your 3d journey, uh, right. 3d printing journey. So, <laughs> um, I guess that's good and bad, right? You got, you got the, the d- dimensions and the designs you need, but, um, you also have a, a shop out on Shapeways too, right? Yeah, I do. And, a, a lot of a lot of the the parts, a lot of the designs that I created are useful parts for other S scale modelers. Whether they're they're wanting just to model the um, draft gear box on the front of a locomotive, or or use the handbrake parts um, that are usable on a multitude of locomotives. Sure, uh, the, you know they're all on my on my Shapeways shop. I, sure. I don't do my own 3D printing. Maybe that's the the next step for me. But for me, this came was something that came out of necessity. I needed to be able to create these designs and the subsequent parts in order to produce the, the locomotives and rolling stock that I needed for my layout. Yeah. So it so sounds, if it benefits other, other modelers, that's good too. Um, on my Shapeways um, shop, I, I do not mark up the, uh, the items, uh, you know, maybe a few pennies per, per dollar, but, uh, basically I want to make these parts available to other S scalers. Um, and, and what's interesting is that, um, a lot of times I'll get requests from other scales to upscale or, or downsize parts because they're not available in their, their scales. It was interesting. A guy in Germany sent me a request to do my EMD turbo stack in one to 29 scale. Is that, is that, is that F scale? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, G scale or whatever one to twenty nine is, but it's it's basically the uh, USA trains GP thirty eight, and I gathered he was probably trying to build a GP thirty nine dash two turbocharged version. Um, so, you know, I've had requests for for upscaling or downsizing parts uh, quite frequently. So let's just. Let's just keep this in the back of our heads here. So we have three guests on here, and including one host, Mike, um, that are started their 3D printing journey out of modeling necessity. So let's just let's just hold that in the back of our heads um, as as the discussion opens up. But I do want to point out that theme. Um, are we going to uh, circle back to that or something? We're, we're probably I, that's a little <laughs> bit of foreshadowing here, but all right. Uh, Bernard Bernard had a had a question uh, that he wanted to go ahead and uh, before we kicked off the discussion this evening, and I wanted to kick it over to him right away. Bob, thank you for for the introduction there. Um, uh, Bernard, um, you you wanted to, to ask the 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 section crew in the chat a question about three D printing before we started our discussion, just to kind of pull the audience, so to speak. Yeah, I, I was just curious to sort of help sort of form the answers um, of the people in the, the, the chat. Uh, how many people had 3D printers? How many people uh, were thinking of getting 3D printers? Just curious, you know, where the audience is on their 3D journey. Are they predominantly uh, users, tire kickers, you know, something they're going to get in the next day, week, month, year? Yeah. So as, as the folks respond to, uh, to that in the chat, I'll, I'll just come out and confess. I, I've 
you know, I, I'm very interested in 3D printing, but I myself right now, I don't think I'm going to start dabbling into it. Um, you know, so so for me, I'm I'm a consumer on on this level. So I'm very happy that uh, folks like Bob and, and James and yourself are, are here to, to serve my needs. So um, that that I'm 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 very excited for. So um i've seen a lot of people comment on uh, not necessarily tonight but in the past i've seen oh i've got one it's still in the box yeah i've got one it's still in the box (laughs) i've had one for a year it's still in the box i'm like well that's not doing you any good you know get it it, you know but the nice thing is is like i don't know if you can see it it's well maybe not or maybe over over here by my cutoff arm I have a anti-cubic photon right now it is my 3D printer, and they're relatively inexpensive. They've come down in price a lot, you know. So um, I, I think people are going to start buying them more and more, but there's a huge learning curve to it. That's that's what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just looking from the from the, the, the comments that I'm bringing up here, it, it looks like there are, are several people that do have um, 3D printers, um, either the, the FDM um, or, or the, uh, the resin printers. So it's, um, um, yeah, I think, I think there are quite a few print, print people here tonight uh, on the show. Um, <laughs> but then there's also folks like myself, um, and, and Joe DeLuso. Um, but yeah, if certain products become harder to come by, I might have to go down that path myself, but I have friends, right? I'm surrounded by friends here that can certainly help me out, um, in a pinch. So yeah, it looks like we got a nice cross section. Uh, more majority, um, of the chat seems to have 3d printers as opposed to not just from what I'm seeing come up tonight. So Oh, as a as a good question, um, Bernard. Thanks for for kind of kicking that off for us tonight. So I'm gonna throw, I guess after after the the intro uh, intros here, uh, Bob. I just I just want to make sure I didn't cut you off um, too early here. Um, is there anything else on the introduction that we wanted to cover with you before I tossed in the softball question to get things rolling here? I want, wanted to point out the three of my. 3D printed locomotives are are uh, on the layout behind me. The the C420, the 30 38-2, and the 39-2. Um, and oh, yes, <laughs> and the the white one over here is uh, another C420 that's uh, that's in production. So, you know, yeah, bring that one close up here. Let me get this comment out of the way so you guys can see that. So this is this is an S scale, folks, right? And right. I'll just uh, do a little, or Bob, if you wanted to do a little narration of the model itself for the people catching this on the audio. Um, yeah. But... So, so to, to keep, you know, I have a love hate relationship with, with Shapeways. Number one, their, their prices are outrageous. So you try to, to only print the parts that you can't scratch build. So in this particular locomotive, the cab and uh, the cab and, and short hood are, 3D printed, as is the long hood. Sure. But the frame itself is made out of styrene because it's basically flat shapes that can be formed. Yep. 3D printed 
um, pilot. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah. This is very well. All that is 3D printed along with the ladder steps and the, uh, the buffer plate and the pilot. Um, so, and these uh, tower supports that are used to, to support commercially available S-scale trucks. Yep. So um, that way you can, you can use 3D printing to create almost any locomotive that you want if, if you have the time to do the design. The interesting thing about about some, about a lot of locomotive designs, you know, prototypically, is there's a family resemblance to, to most locomotives. For example, the C420, you could take your 3D design of your your cab and short hood, shorten the hood, and it becomes a C424 hood or cab and short hood. So sure. Um, so so those those designs are in production now. The same thing with the the GP thirty eight and thirty nine. Uh, you know everything basically except the long hood is the same on those locomotives. Hmm. And I also you know I I haven't built one, but I do have a design available for the GP forty as well. So I mean here's here's one locomotive series. Uh, all of the uh, from the GP38 uh, through the GP40-2 that spans about 20 years that accounts for 5,000 locomotives that EMD produced that virtually every railroad operating from the 70s through the through the 90s had one of, you know. So yeah. completely not available commercially in S-scale. So yeah, right, exactly. That, so That created my necessity to... To is come up with these was that a so what type of of 3d printer did did shapeways use there and this is kind of gonna maybe get us into some topical questions about the 3d printing itself so um what what did they use there was that was that a resin printer or was that uh like one of those uh, filament ones no, it's a resin printer. It but, is. You know, Shapeways has a variety of materials they use. Most of it is proprietary processes, so you really don't know how sure. it's done. Yep. But basically, they will give you the limitations of the print bed, and you need to create your design to fit within that box. So, Okay. Um, so then what... So I know that there's a fill and I'm, I'm going to ask a bunch of like bumbling, <laughs> bumbling idiot <laughs> questions to go along with my greasy meat hands. Um, so, so what, what are the types of, of 3d printers that are available? So there's, and anyone can field this question on the panel. There's, I know there's, there's the resin ones, which are kind of in vogue now, but there are a couple or is there, there's not other kinds, right? Uh, yeah, if you want, I can give you a general answer of it. I don't. Sure. There's a lot of them that are all abbreviated. So there's about six or seven different abbreviations for the style of printing. Okay. But the two big ones that consumers have is a filament printer where you have a roll of plastic that okay. just gets deposited on a build plate in uh, layers. So it's kind of like a hot glue gun in a mm -hmm. way. Yep. And then you have the resin printers, which generally uh, there's a couple different types, but basically you cure resin by some light source that flashes the different layers. And the resin printers tend to be really fine grain, while the uh, 
the uh, filament printers aren't quite as detailed. However, the filament printers tend to be a little bit more, how would you call it? You can modify it, you can add things to it, you can do all sorts, you can basically manipulate it and make it more how you want it to be. Okay. Uh, another one that I know of is metal printing, and that is with sintering. And I'm not quite sure what the process is, but you basically have a metal powder and that somehow the metal gets made into a solid object. Hmm. That That's... one's really cool, but that one's more of a commercial thing. Sure. So, okay. Um, Bernard, uh, Bob, any... Any comment there on the, the other types? Uh, this metal one, this one kind of took me by surprise. I didn't know that existed. Um, I didn't know if, do you guys have any other comments or thoughts? I can speak to DJ's question. Okay, um, let's bring that up then, yeah. I see that on the screen. Yep. Um, I bought my first 3D printer, call it two and a half years ago. And since then... Uh, there's probably been at least four different generations uh, of okay. machine released. And I would say the machines that I'm using now, uh, the differences between them and the ones that I had two, two and a half years ago are really twofold. Well, three, I guess three things have changed. Uh, one, they print substantially faster. Okay. So the printer that I have today probably prints two to three times faster than the one I started with. And I can run, I still have the machines all up and running. So there's nothing wrong with the ones from two years ago. Sure. But if I put the same thing on two different machines, uh, one might take half an hour to print. The other might take 45 minutes, two hours to print, you know, depending on, you know, there, there's no, it's more like two hours versus half an hour. I mean, there's no significant time difference uh, so difference one is is the evolution has been in speed. Okay. Uh, the second evolution has been build size. So my first printer had a plate, you know, maybe this big. <laughs> yep. uh, now, you know, there are printers that have plates, you know, four times the size. You know, I've gone from, I'm all Elegoo, so I've gone from an Elegoo, yeah. So there you go. There you go. Uh, there's the plate. So I've gone from an Elegoo Mars first generation mm -hmm. to Elegoo Saturn's. Uh, and those, you know, you're looking at easily three, if not four times uh, the build volume as they continue to get bigger. So speed, build volume, and then fine detail. Although I wow. will say that I'm hard pressed as the detail gets finer, I'm hard pressed with the naked eye to really see a difference. And I've run, I've run things on, you know, the two-year-old printer and the printer of today and yeah the printer of today is better for sure but i mean unless you're going down with a magnifying glass you know i'm you know if you're doing sort of dungeons and dragons you know miniatures you know maybe yeah but the quality i think the, the increase in quality is better but it's less impressive than the increase in, for me in speed and plate size because plate size you can just physically print bigger things you know like right. i you know i couldn't print bob's locomotive shell two years ago it just wouldn't fit on mm -hmm. a on a you know consumer resin printer that would be commercial you know now depending on how big that body shell was you know with the right orientation you probably could print it it would take quite a while but you could do it sure 
Yeah, I'm finding that's something I think you need to be cognizant of as a designer is knowing how big your build plate is. Yeah. And um, when I when I first started doing these designs, I I created um, them into smaller pieces. Like for example, this long hood is actually two pieces. Oh, so, there you go. You know that's going to fit on a smaller build plate. You know, uh, break it at the radiator section and the you know prime mover section. And then just design it so it's it's almost tongue and groove, and they they just pop right together to form the long hood. And you know, I I don't do my own printing, so you still have to be cognizant of of you know making them adaptable to multiple printers when you do your design. Well, and one comment along those lines is that a lot of the stuff that we have in the real world is not one solid piece either. You look at railroad equipment; it is made in pieces. Now the that assemblies, you don't, yeah. yeah, you don't necessarily yeah. have to follow the same seam, but you can follow a similar process. Where if you look at you look at the object there, you break it down into its basic shapes, and you go from there. Yeah, I mean, Mike, you you with your printer, what was was build when you bought your printer was build uh, build plate uh, design uh, a requirement or a consideration that you made? No, actually, I bought mine. This is going to be pretty bad. Oh, I bought mine I, I because I time you out. I'm I, sorry. I, I I bought mine because I actually wanted to be the first kid on the block to actually say I had one. There you go. And then <laughs> and then I thought, well, now I bought this damn thing. What am I going to do with it? So I I kind of and that was right about the time Bob and I started getting really heavy into doing this. And I thought, well, you know, here's an opportunity for me to learn how to do this using our own designs. And, uh, and, and time becomes, is my mortal enemy. It's, I've got it. it I should know better because it, it's kind of plug and play, right? So I can plug my design in there and just walk away from it and hope that what I put in there is going to make, is going right. to work. And, and I have, I have failed many times. <laughs> Here, let me, let's just bring that up on I, screen there. Yeah, this is yeah, a covered let's... hopper. These, these are covered hopper bays. That's what this is supposed to be. Uh, oh, that looks yeah, good. Th yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah, this yeah. is for a Pullman standard covered hopper. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the design. It's uh, the fact that I tried doing it when it was 58 degrees in my basement is what I believe is part of the problem that the uh, build plate can never get warm enough and started separating. So sure. I waited a few weeks when it got warmer and I still have another failure, but it looks a little closer to what it's supposed to be, there you, go. you know? Um, and, and the thing is the one thing is an amateur as an amateur 3d printer, <laughs> uh, because I think it is fair that we start segmenting or segmenting ourselves into professional and amateur right. statuses because I by far am w still learning all of the necessities behind it and, and all the stuff. And I don't totally understand all of it um, as much as I probably should, but it's like almost anything else. When you fail at something, you have to learn why it failed. And once you learn what you that, that don't get discouraged, that's my that's I guess my big message for tonight is if you try it and you fail, it's a good thing that you fail because you're going to learn 
by asking questions. There's so many forums out there and so many people out there willing to help that know ex that have been right where you are that, I mean, I'm sure Bernard and, and, and James, your first prints weren't exactly perfect, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, you probably had a failure rate of probably 60% or more at, at when you first started to you hire. <laughs> hire. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing is, is, it is now once you get everything, you know, tuned in, now it's just bing, bang, boom, right? But even then, <laughs> but even then, there's still things. I wish. I wish. The one thing that I've learned the most is that 3D printing is very temperature sensitive. Um, and, and I do mine in a basement. And during the wintertime, I have my basement is down to about 20 to 25% humidity. But I'm down in the low 60s to high 50s for temperature. The resin doesn't like that. You know, it, it doesn't seem to, write, to like those temperatures. Now that we're in the summertime, I'm looking right now, I've got a temperature of 66 degrees with a humidity of 67. I'm willing to try this same print again to see what the difference in the temperature is. And it might be a thing where, hey, I just can't print during the wintertime unless I heat my room up to 70 sure. degrees sure. you know so uh, that that's kind of why i i bought it because i wanted to like i said be the first kid on the block but i also wanted to learn sure uh so you know that that's 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 all i got on that <laughs> well, and i i'd love to jump in on that because i think that's really interesting because i see a lot of people seeing the pictures, you know, like we all have on, on Facebook or on the blogs of all the amazing things you can print. And there are a lot of, un, you know, there are a lot of machines that are just still in their boxes. And I've also seen a lot of, you know, people, you know, try it, fail and say, okay, forget it. And I think there's, there's a very specific type of person that should get a 3D printer and a very specific type of person that shouldn't get a 3D printer. And what I've come to discover is 3D printing almost becomes a hobby within the hobby. Yep. So it almost becomes a subset of the model railroading. Now, the good news is model railroaders typically like to do things like Mike, experiment, tinker, try, investigate. You know, we're curious people that like to get our hands dirty, which is why I think a lot of us really take to to it but every minute and i'm very aware of this because sort of you know we haven't sort of talked about the dark side of 3d printing yet but the dark side is in the last two years that i've been running mini prints i've gone downstairs and turned on my basement model railroad twice Ooh. now part of it is because you know and i think i see james nodding his head part of it is well you know i've sort of turned a hobby into a business and their benefits and and also not benefits associated with that, but it does take time away from the hobby. Now, I happen to enjoy it, and a lot of the um, the benefit and satisfaction I was getting from making a model railroad, I get that same feeling from making something in 3D. You know, sure. it's still crafting and making, and you know, you're still you know have using some of the same skills. Uh, but if you are, if you like to get your hands dirty, if you like to experiment, if you are prepared to spend the time, it's incredibly fulfilling. But it's it's not by any means, it's not sort of 
download, hit print, walk away, save yourself five bucks, you know, and you didn't have to buy it. It's, you know, it can take weeks of experimentation, you know, to get that one thing. And, so and a lot of, and a lot of, a lot of wasted resin. Yeah. A, but you feel great. Of, you know, it's fun. Like when you get it, it feels amazing. And you can, you know, you stick it on the fridge and you say, I made this, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you know beside, the, you know, beside your five-year-old drawing, you know, it's like, I made this daddy. Well, I made this son, you know, I made a, I made a hot mess and I said, yeah, <laughs> right. Mike, I, Mike, I'll, I think I think we should. I think this is going to be a new segment of uh, 3D print fails on the show instead of what's on your workbench. Yes, yes. Let's let's do 3D print fails. And I mean, you know, so, what is it? The Pinterest fails that you see yeah, out there. Yeah. I think I hashtag, think this is a thing. Yeah, hashtag failure. Hashtag failure. So this is this is a new thing. So there's a couple couple questions, and um, we're kind of getting into that mechanical piece, or what you know, talking about the. The, the details of, of 3D printing. Um, and and so so what are the skills, you know, that a person would want to develop? You know, we have we talked about the type of person. So what skills do they need? They obviously need some st- software. So Split Rock brings up a question and says, um, what, what are suggestions for starter design software? So he just downloaded Fusion 360, the free version. He's going to try and learn that. Uh, from from um, from YouTube, but um, I mean, is it? Can you use something like was it Tinkercad or um, SketchUp? SketchUp. Yeah, Bob and I use SketchUp. Sure. Well, and what I use is same as what SplitRock's trying to use is Fusion 360. Um, unlike a lot of people, though, I took college elective classes to actually learn the software. So. That's I cheating. might not be the best person to get. Very much cheating. <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> that, took, that took a lot of cheating, yes. But that's how that's how I found myself into Fusion 360 because it was intuitive for me. And I think that's what people really need to understand is they have to go out and experiment with these different CAD softwares and find what works best for them. There you go. Because there's a plethora of them, and everybody's brains works a little bit differently. For me, I'm able to mentally break down a 3D model into its two-dimensional sketches. And if you're that kind of a person, Fusion 360 works pretty well because you start with a sketch and then you extrude the sketch to make it three-dimensional and then you just play with it a little bit. But there's others like Blender, which is used often for animation. You start with a ball of clay and you manipulate it, and that I can't really comprehend. But I'm sure somebody out there is able to use it. And that's yeah. where I that's and that's what I was going to say. The program you use really depends on what you're designing. So it, it's mm. also you know I use Blender because I'm sort of more into the organic stuff. You know the organic shapes. So you mm. know I've played around with you know Fusion 360, but I'm not doing radiator hoods and I'm not doing you know locomotive mm. parts. You know I'm doing more like you know I'm mushing a beaver out of you know mm-hmm. logs. So yeah. um, so you know it really depends. You know not there are. I don't know, there, there are hundreds of programs, but it feels like there are hundreds of programs. And not every program is going to be great for everything. You know, it depends who you are, like James said, what your learning style is, uh, what you feel comfortable, what your budget, because some are free, some cost money. Uh, and most importantly, in my mind, what you're trying to create. 
Hey, Andy, can I share something that goes along with no. what James is just ta- no, talking you, about? No, you can't. That this oh. is that's not. Yes, no. of course you can. Okay, of course. All it's right, a sharing moment here. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do this. Hold on a minute. Yeah. You know how this always works. Yep. Okay, we're gonna go here and there. Hashtag not prepared. Hello, you know, I'm prepared. <laughs> I just okay. You're, okay, we'll add so, that to the stream. So, oh my gosh, this. I, I was at a train show down in Appleton, Wisconsin one time, and a and a, a, a kid, believe it or not, that I know, uh, bought a class light, a second-generation class light that somebody was selling. It was all 35 50 bucks, whatever you bought it for. Wow. And I said, hey, can I borrow that? And he goes, for what? And I said, I want to measure it. So this is my sketch that I made of measuring an actual second generation individual class light. It was, it wasn't inside the locomotive. It was, it was the whole part. Yeah. So this was the class sketch that I made Well, using SketchUp. This is actually what my design ended up looking like. Holy cow. Now that is, is this, now this is drawn one-to-one. Yeah. This is drawn one-to-one. So I can scale this to whatever scale I need to. Wow. So that's that is magnificent. And this is a free software that's available out there at, at SketchUp. Yep. And it's a, it's got a pretty steep learning curve, but okay. not so bad. Wouldn't you say, Bob? I mean, if you just sat down and played with it and made some basic square shapes, like I think there's a tutorial on here that shows you how to make a house. Yeah. And once you learn those basic commands, you can kind of almost make anything really um i i still have a little bit of work to do the one thing i want to do with this is i i I designed this to actually use an mv product lens at one point and uh now i'm kind of thinking about maybe trying to my hand at printing a clear lens myself maybe but i want to i actually put a center uh, a dimple here in the center uh which is easy enough um to uh as a centering point for a drill bit so uh so you can drill this out oh, there and you either it either light it or not light it and drill it straight through um uh so yeah that and and all that came from this drawing <laughs> that's amazing yeah but that's what james is talking about and it's what you know like bernard was talking about the fact that you know he's making more organic things so like so like the um like that blender is kind of like getting a big old chunk of artist clay, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of what you're talking about Bernard like like doing that? You know, um like using kind of an artist clay and watching them make a sculpture out of it. You can yeah, definitely. There's also a great program called Mesh Mixer. Huh. Which is another program that I use. So, you know, and and the other thing too is it's never just one program too. So, I mean, for a lot of the things I design, there's a workflow you know, where you might have three or four different programs. I mean, it's not uncommon to create something in A, bring it into B, do something in B, bring it into C. You know, so there are different programs that will do different things as well. Bob, what's the name of that program we use for scaling? Uh, uh, NetFab. No, NetFab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, talk about a learning curve. There's <laughs> That one's not exactly... That's not for the faint of heart either, but uh, it does a great job of scaling. Yeah, that's. Sure. I believe that's an Adobe product. Okay. And it, it's not available free anymore. <laughs> well, 
they'll let you use NetFab online free to repair 3D models, but the scaling feature is now gone. So so that's that's so there's there's a little bit of a learning curve. So especially if you're not formally trained in in the designing arts or um you know to, so to get into 3D printing like I'm a computer programmer, uh, data scientist. That's that's my job, right? I don't have much, and I can I can read a a, a a blueprint, but I couldn't make one, right? So there's going to be a, a significant learning curve for me to learn the how to figure out the geometries and and get things set up to where they need to be. And then it sounds like scaling is a very important part of this process as well. So not only are you able just to you know make the design, but appropriately scale it so that the print comes out to the right size so it sounds like there's a there's there is a bit of a process involved just to get you to the end product from from the cocktail napkin that that we've been seeing brought up on screen to the actual uh, piece of resin that resembles the model so that's there's also there's also another part i want to throw in there sure because it's kind of like the architect that designs the beautiful glass house. You know, it's absolutely stunning, award-winning. You know, it's going to be in every architecture magazine and it's beautiful. And then he gives the blueprints to the builder and the builder says, what do you want me to do with this? It's gorgeous, but you know, you can't build it. So half of the equation, yes, is what you're talking about is the, uh, the design, but equal. And what I spend probably as much, if not more time doing is once you have this thing designed, there's a whole art and science to getting it to actually print out. As you know, Mike showed us, you know, there's temperature, there's orientation, there's a whole sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, but there's a whole process to getting this beautiful thing that you designed on the computer to actually become a physical object. And there's no standard. There's, I'm sorry, but there's no standard instruction manual for it, though. It's all trial and error. Every piece is different. Yeah. You know, every single thing is is different. You could have three designs on your plate, and two of them work, and one doesn't, and for no reason. You know, just you put that same design that failed on plate by itself, and it works beautifully. Hmm. You know, and that's happened. You know, that's just. Well, what I would kind of liken it to, especially some of everybody who's older than about 40 will probably understand a little bit about this. So if you have film photography, it's its own process as Who a hobby. this kid in here? I don't know. I don't know. I just graduated. <laughs> what, what's film photography? What's that? <laughs> yeah. I still chisel out of rock. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Well, the point is, so you got the camera and actually taking the picture, that's, that part of it is its own thing. It's got its science where you have the timing and whatnot, but then you have the development and the development process is its own whole art. Yeah. Right. You, you, where you go into the dark room and actually mm -hmm. turn the, the negative into, into a, a picture. And yeah, I was, I, I did it in high school for, half a semester i i still couldn't do it to save my soul today <laughs> i just spent time in the dark room goofing around i think that was but I, I, I can kind of see the difference here is that you have people who are able to design stuff and that's one skill set but then the printing is its whole other skill set 
And if you really want to master the art of 3D printing, you have to be able to understand both. That yeah, is, exactly. unless you want to be limited to the files that are just available on the internet, in which that's perfectly fine as well. And we'll have more files coming out as this becomes more popular too. So like a lot of the people that have their printers in the box, one thing I would recommend is take the printer out of the box, play with it, figure out figure out how to use it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you have to trash some things that you fail to print off, and that's normal. All of us, I'm sure, have had failed prints, plenty of them. For me, my failure rate was probably about 90% for the first few times until I really got into the details of it, and then I finally, you know, it started to get more successful. But I liken it kind of to, say, a roll of film. You got 36 images. When you first start on that first roll, you only get about two or three that are any good. But as yeah. you oh get, God. learn more and more and more, eventually you start getting 24, 26, 28 images that are coming out pretty good. Right. Now, you know, it's funny you say that because now I was just talking with somebody the other day about this is how the heck did we ever go rail fanning? This is a little tangent. How the heck did we ever go rail fanning before digital cameras? <laughs> I tell you what, it and Bob, I'll tell you what, you want to see a guy who knows how to take pictures. <laughs> There's a guy right down there, Bob Frischella has a collection of photographs that is second to none that almost nobody's ever seen. And <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to get him to write a book about it. But it is it is phenomenal. Now, I and Bob, you and I have talked about that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the 3D printing. Can you imagine if you had a digital camera back yeah. when you were doing all that stuff in St. Louis and all those, all those... Just imagine the difference... And what you would have been able to capture doing that with with newer technology, the 3D printing stuff is the same way. I think 3D printing is still in its infancy, very much so. Really? Oh my goodness! Yes, we haven't even we haven't even started to scratch the surface of what this technology is going to be able to do for society and for the hobby and everything. Um, I, I this is just we are very much in the infancy here. Great stuff is being done because you have a lot of very mechanical-minded people starting to do what they're supposed, to, what what they are doing with it. But per, myself personally, I just think that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Hmm. You know, we we haven't seen the we haven't seen the you know we only see the ten feet above the water right now. We haven't seen the the three hundred feet that's below the water surface, and and there is just limitless. Technolo technological advances on the horizon in this in in, in this you know uh, part of the hobby and 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 just for society in general, um, medical use and all sorts of different things. Um, I know we use it in. I mean, I work for a, a you know Oshkosh Corporation where we we make vehicles, right? Uh, heavy duty vehicles, and we use it to you know, if we have any tooling that we need to spin up or castings, we use 3D printing on a larger scale, right? Yeah. To, to help us get the tools or the, uh, the, the spare parts that we need. So, yeah. Uh oh, I think, oh I think we lost James. We lost James. I'll, we'll get him back in. Uh, South Dakota we, shut off the power. Well, <laughs> the, he made that comment about film photography, and that was it. I had to that was it. Yep. That was it. He crossed the line. He crossed the line. <laughs> oh, there he, he is. is. There he is. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> when you have to 
what you have to do go and so, plug the internet meter or what yeah and i think a cloud came over that's what it was <laughs> yeah there you go so let's un so let's unpack that a little bit then so that it was one of the the things that i had jotted down as a question that i wanted to to ask was okay so what what has the impact or let's let's start today what is the impact that 3D printing has done for let's just let's just focus on model railroading and then after okay. we marinate on that question for a little bit let's talk about what the future of 3D printing is going to hold um, and and see where that part of the discussion takes us so okay let's open it up um, again people in the chat I know um, you've been a very good group tonight asking some good questions and some good um, and and some good topics in there so oh, I guess. I guess uh, Mike is waxing philosophical, and he is right. Um, obviously, obviously, Ned must have gotten his check. <laughs> yeah. Ned, Ned must. Ned, yeah. Ned is a very good friend of Bob and mine's, and uh, he is a he is an interesting cat. But, and I tell you what, he is a super cool dude. Yeah, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, so, that's the first time I've ever had anybody tell me I'm right. Thank you, Ned. <laughs> so let's 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 unpack let's unpack this, right? So so what what has three D printing done for for mo the society of model railroaders to date? So we've talked about a couple things, but maybe Bernard, if you want to maybe sure. jump in here. Um, and well, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I I mean I'll I'll go back to I'll answer that question, but first just to play off what Mike was saying. Um, I completely agree with what Mike said. And to mm. tie it back to my earlier comments, you know, being a recovering graphic designer, I remember very well um, getting my first Mac computer back in, you know, 85, 86. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Mike, I was the first kid on the block, you know, with my with my Mac computer. And that led to, you know, a career in 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 marketing, advertising, graphic design. And fast forward, call it, you know, 30, 35 years later, and we've gone from, you know, me being the only kid on the block with a, an Apple Macintosh computer to, you know, web-based systems like Canva, where, you know, anyone can make right. a wedding invitation by literally sort of dragging, you know, see elements together. And I, I wax philosophical a few times on this as well, because I think back to sort of the desktop publishing revolution, and that Apple computer allowed me to do things that only, you know, $100,000, multi hundred thousand dollar type typesetting machines could do. Sure. So you know, all of a sudden, you know, this little box for $3,000 replaced hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of professional equipment and put the hands of publishing, you know, the, the, the ability to publish in my hands. And I think, you know, we went through that with music, you know, GarageBand and you know, all the music software. We went through that with video, you know, with the iMovies and the other things like that. And I think what we're really seeing right now is the rise of uh, desktop manufacturing. So once again, you know, the things that I'm producing are only things that, you know, 10 years ago, you know, you could have done with hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, of or 20 years ago, hundreds of thousands of dollars of professional equipment. You know, and that stuff still exists. You know, the Shapeways are still using the million dollar sure. machines. Uh, sure. But um, just as, you know, 30, 35 years ago, there was the desktop publishing revolution, which gave me the ability to self-publish. Now I've become a model railroad manufacturer. And if you look at the sort of evolution curve over the last 30, 35 years, 
for all of these other things, I think that's exactly where it's going to go for desktop manufacturing. Hmm. So I would use that definitely as sort of a, an analogy. And, you know, I sort of talk to my kids and say, like, you know, this is, I mean, we're not at the Star Trek replicator yet, but damn, we're getting close. You know, it's sure. getting really interesting. So, so what about, what about you, Bob? You, you come from the engineering background as well. Um, do you, do you share the same sentiment as, as, as Mike and Bernard on, on the fact that, you know, this is, this is not just a fad, this is really enabling people to get going or is it flash in the pan type business we're talking here? Well, well, first I have to say that I'm still lamenting that they took my Kodachrome away, but. <laughs> <laughs> they were sad about that, didn't they? <laughs> that aside, you know, I, it, from, from my perspective, I, I believe the 3D printing is a tool and it's, it's a very good tool for, for modelers and it's enabled me to create models that I would have never been able to do. Uh, it's the new exacto knife. Scratch building or kit bashing yep. or any, any other contemporary me means of model building. So it's, it's really open doors, particularly for those of us that model either an obscure era or are in an obscure scale like S scale where sure. very little is available. So I, I do think, I, I definitely don't think it's a fad. I just think it's going to grow and, you know, maybe someday rapid prototyping will become rapid manufacturing as yeah. Bernard was saying. Um, but, you know, what I see maybe as the immediate future is to take some of these 3D designs and, and go to a, um, a kit manufacturer, for example. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, resin casting manufacturers that can use your 3D design as a basis for producing a new, a new kit. And, you know, I, as Mike knows, we've been in, or I've been in discussion with uh, several kit manufacturers uh, offering to work with them on my designs to hopefully help produce a, a kit that's otherwise not available in S scale. So, yeah, you know, I, from my perspective, I don't see myself as being a manufacturer. I have no, no interest in, in doing that. And, you know, I applaud Bernie for doing that, Bernard for doing that, but um, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's a means to an end and, and uh, yeah, you know, hopefully my designs will be able to be used by by others and to help grow the scale and and create create interest from manufacturers other manufacturers yeah that's awesome that's it's interesting james did i don't mean to just you know do the the round robin here but um you know did you know on mike's mike's bernards and, and bob's point here i'm just going to end up saying ditto at the end of, of all of that and and agree with you know everything that everyone said but um did any any different take or uh, are you going to echo similar thoughts here well in a way i'll echo similar thoughts but for say model railroaders specifically i'm a young guy i'm 27 this to me seems like the second big revolution in model railroading hmm. since so when first at the very beginning of my life like age four or five that's when the dcc really took off Yep. And that took that was more of a slow burn, as I'm sure many would agree. As people started adopting it over time, 3D printing though this is different. We're talking about five, six years ago. These printers 
that we have at home weren't around. And now you look at all the people in the chat that own a printer. Yeah, right. That, that's a that's an amazing turnaround. And these people are all model railroaders, or at least most of them. I don't know who's watching this who isn't a model railroader, but there might be one or two. Who knows? <laughs> and and we welcome them. And it's, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, yeah, of course. But it's uh, the point is, in a matter of a couple of years, we've seen this popularity absolutely skyrocket. Yeah. And I think the big reason for that is that within the hobby, you've got various models that are common that the larger manufacturers can make. You're talking like the mainline diesel engines and HO and N scale, that sort of stuff. But then you have things like this was the norm, you know, 12 years ago. That's a Bachman mogul. I don't know if the camera can focus on it. I'm picking However, up. when it comes to, say, steam engines, oh, am I breaking up? No, you're good. Am I back in? Yep, you're All back right, in. All right, sweet. So, yeah, so you have steam engines like this, and yep. Bachman makes, you know, it's been pretty much making the same model now for, what, 25 years, give or take? Yeah. Uh, however, in real life, steam engines had all sorts of smaller classifications that were specific to the railroad. They were built to specifications. So one thing that I'm hoping for with this 3D printing is that I'll be able to take the specific models that you can't really produce on a large scale, but are important to my particular prototypes and be able to design them and print them. And then I have a working model that isn't really available that can't be made by the major manufacturers. Sure. Mike has his hand raised. <laughs> um, yes, Mike, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I think James just hit something right on the head. Yep. I think personally, you're going to start in, I don't know if it'll be Athern, if it'll be scale training, who, who it's going to be, if it's going to be Bachman, whoever it's going to be, somebody out there will go. Here is a, Bob, just for our sake, here's a GP38-2. Here are the files you have. You pay X number of dollars for those files. That file, because they have the encryption technology, be able to make that a single print type, you know, so that you can go in there when you put it in there, and it's kind of like the old, you know, get smart thing. You know, this, this message will self-destruct. You know, <laughs> you use it one time, and boom, off you go. So... You'll buy that file, but in order to buy that file, it'll tell you you need to use this type of resin. You would need to have a build plate of this size. Here are the here are the instructions for what to set your printer at. They will give you all of that, and th because if they do that, now think about the technology in boxing and painting and all of those things that you are that the manufacturer would not have to do. So, so, you know, it's a huge cost savings to them because now the consumer is doing all of their manufacturing work for them in their house. Yeah. And I think the technology is getting to the point, like what Bernard was saying, we're not at the, the Star Trek rec replicator yet, but we're pretty close. So, and, and I think that that's kind of what we're going to start seeing, whereas you're going to see a manufacturer come out that is not, they're going to make an announcement for a locomotive. But it'll be a hundred percent three D print file purchase locomotive really? that you print at home. Yep, I think that we are getting close to having something like that happen. So, yeah, Mike. Mike, I I agree. And 
to touch on what uh, James was saying as well, you know, and and uh, moving it into a, a more contemporary era, uh, it was once said that EMD stood for every model different. Yep. And, and that's the case with, with diesel locomotives because so many, so many items were railroad specific. And right. if, if, for example, Mike, in your example, where you can take those files and create a locomotive on your printer, you can make it specific to the locomotive you want to model, whether you're adding extended range dynamic braking, for example, or, uh, you know, uh, notched corners of the pilot or, you know, whatever the railroad specific item was, uh, you know, EMD or uh, SP style class lights and are the multiple lights that Southern Pacific put on their locomotives and right. you know, L-shaped windshields. All those things could could then be incorporated into that design file that you're purchasing sure. and developed, uh, you know, as a one-time use on a personal printer. Maybe that's the future. Well, and there's, there is one holdup, at least with the locomotives, from what I've seen. You can create the superstructure and all the various plastic parts you want for the engine. However, the main thing that still, we still need, though, is we still need the motors and the gears and the wheels and the couplers. What I think would be really nice is if a manufacturer would decide to simply make the chassis of different lengths and sizes and right. then they can have the files to download so you just select the proper chassis download the files print you do the painting the lettering the weathering and there you go you got a complete model uh one thing say northwest shortline hashtag not sponsored hashtag uh, not sponsored. that's right but anyways they got those little power trucks those stanton drives and i haven't been able to test those out yet but one thing i've noticed is as I was designing a 3D printable 44 tonner, they don't have the proper uh, wheelbase necessary for the 44 tonner, at least in the scales I was hoping to get, which would be S scale and O scale. They have, uh, you know, it's eight foot. Well, 44 tonner is six and a half foot. So the challenge I'm trying to figure out is how do I design a 3D printable bogey that can be connected up. So you just have to have the proper gears and the wheels. However, that's really what's hanging me up on that project. And it would be really nice if manufacturers would go in there and they'd say, okay, here's all the different locomotives, EMD and Alco and whatever made. Let's just uh, let's build chassis to specific sizes and sell them. You can sell them at a reduced cost because it's not you don't have all the injection molding and the painting and the lettering needed for the mass-produced models. You just have the chassis and stick with that. You know, one other thing, too, about 3D printing is, is the fact that with the advent of this technology, you're starting to see modeling come back into the hobby of model railroading. You're not just taking everything right out of a box anymore. You're, things Guys are starting to look at resin kits again, uh, resin structures. They're looking at like what Bernard does, you know, with his, with all his awesome little details. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> there's like so many things I want to buy from you. But there's, there's, there's like, you know, so, so many different avenues that this is opening up that, 
people don't just have to spend X number of dollars and take something out of a box. They can actually have the pride of being able to say, I printed this and I painted this and I did this and, you know, do that. I think it's a whole hot, like you say, a hobby within a hobby, you know? Yeah. Right. It also, I think it also makes more interesting layouts because, you know, you know, there was a time where I'd go look at layouts and everyone would have, you know, the same, bakery kit or you know sure they'd modify it and you know they'd weather it differently but you knew you know you knew what you were looking at you know you you could see the cement works you could see the bakery you know you grew some casket grew some casket hashtag not sponsored hashtag not sponsored (laughs) you know there was a uniformity and and part of that was just what was available but you know this unlocks people's imaginations and i'm seeing you know, more interesting scenes. And it's not just the scenic details, which is the stuff I'm into, but, you know, on the locomotive side, you know, there could be one obscure switcher that worked in one cement factory in 19, make up your date in one location. And you can have that and model that on your layout now because someone has designed it or you can design it yourself. So we're getting more interesting scenes. We're getting more different scenes. We're getting, you know, I think many more interesting things to look at on layouts because they're just, as, you know, as was said, this is a tool that allows people to unlock their creativity. So what's right. the most creative th- request you've ever gotten, Bernard? <laughs> what What is the one thing it, that like, I mean, honestly, and not to put you on the spot. Well, kind of, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but what is the most unusual thing that you kind of got requested that you're kind of like, oh, man, I well, really, there's some I, things I don't that know I if ref- I should do this or not. <laughs> a few things I've refused to produce, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one person that wanted naked garden gnomes carrying strange <laughs> objects. <laughs> like weapons you know like you know like uh, yeah there's there's been some weird stuff i've had people want to do you know uh, well a lot of times people will want to do scenes from movies sure you know does that get proprietary do you have to get permissions for doing that copyright scenes for stuff? movies that you know besides the whole copyright thing it's like yeah i know it's a movie scene but i don't think i'm gonna be bringing out the serial collection by mini prints anytime soon so you know they're they're you know but it's amazing though because i think that's a really interesting question because you wouldn't believe like people model or want to model incredibly different things like people model things that have meaning to them you know it could be you know their favorite scene from a movie or it could be you know a memory from their childhood or it could be you know there's there's no limit to hashtag no limit to what people want to model. Yeah. And I mean, that's what the 3d printer does is it, it unlocks that hashtag no limit. Um, I gotta say it for the audio playback. I mean, and he says, Sure, I asked for naked gnomes one time, this one time, and now I get outed on YouTube and in the podcast universe as well. So, on the audio version, you're gonna get. You'll get dinged there as well. Thanks, Split Rock, for for, uh, for, 
forgive but us yes, all. Mike, there are strange requests, and a lot of the strange requests are fun, strange requests and get made. Uh, but you know, a lot of them are just not not going to get made. And, sure. <laughs> but you know, I I appreciate the creativity. That's yeah. that's that's awesome. So, I I did want to just touch on. And, and again, if, if, if you guys want to circle back to some of the other points we're trying to make, but what does the future hold? So what what is that going to look like for, for 3D printing here in the coming up in the next three years, five years, 10 years? What do you think is going to be out there? Because I, I have no idea. I mean, I can I can dream, but I I have no frame of reference when it comes to this topic. So what do you guys think? I saw a million dollar 3D printer the other day that'll print in full color. What? Yeah, <laughs> resin. Resin in full color. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait that a minute. Insane. Wait. So it, it so it'll actually decipher separate color. So like if you had a Union Pacific box car you wanted to print, it, you could print it in the yellow and as it's printing it would print the the Union Pacific lettering and everything on the side. It was printing little sort of dinosaur toys. And they came out like this is something that, you know, I would have printed out in gray resin. I mm-hmm. would have primed it. I would have got my paints out and I would have painted it. And it came out in perfect printed color. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I didn't go too deep into how it did it because there were a lot of other shiny objects that distracted me and I couldn't <laughs> really afford a million dollar machine. So I'm like, cool. Okay next but um yeah no color color 100 i mean think back to the photography black and white film became comes back to photography color film right yeah bob's bob's kodachrome (laughs) bob's kodachrome exactly so yeah 100 i i definitely see uh color 3d printing and you can kind of get it in the filament world right now you know they have those multi filaments that will do um you know, you can get like load four different color filaments in and it'll stop and do different portions. But yeah, I think we'll see color 3D resin. That sounds, that's, that's, that's a game changer. I mean, that they, there was a comment, I think something about uh, being able to, you know, not have to paint your, your 3D prints. And that's, there it is. It's on the way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you think, do you think they'll be able to, and maybe this is just me being naive, um, but, you know, like for things that are animated, um, you know, that have like a ball and socket type joint or something of that nature, do you think they'll be able to add those types of, of I guess, characteristics to a 3D like, print? Like maybe like a working U-joint? Yeah, exactly. Or or like maybe the structure on the, or like the... Uh piston structure on the side of a uh climate uh shea uh shea uh, like on the yeah. side of a shea stuff like that yeah i'm not sure if we're there yet pretty close i've I, seen i've seen 3d printed objects i mean there are tons of them online uh that will print and there are things inside of things that rotate yep. so you know there are interesting things you can print I've seen like little articulated sort of look like salamanders and things that you'll know, actually move. Um, what I can't quite figure out, and I've never tried it, but what I can't figure out is you can print it, but how do you support it? Like, I don't 
know how you would support, you know, two things that sort of fit together. You'd have, I mean, I think it would all come down to, it's all doable. The question is, how do you support it? And then more importantly, it's not even the support, it's the post-processing, because that's a right. whole other thing that we haven't even talked about. Yeah. I mean, that's the bane of my existence. I mean, my least favorite thing in the entire world sure. is snipping all of the supports necessary to get your thing to print out. Right, right. So, you know, everything's doable. I'm pretty convinced that pretty much everything's doable if you invest enough time and energy and experiment. Someone's so, figured it out. So have, have you guys heard of the, the Moore's Law? Uh, basically, with talking about uh, computer processors and, and microchips, as as the cost uh, or the speed goes up and the cost comes down uh, by fifty percent each time, do you do you think that there's a Moore's law that's going to come into play here with three D printers? Is is the cost going to eventually come down as as the technology increases, or are you going to see just this this uh, exponential curve of well, now we got million-dollar printers that can print, you know, full color and 3D circuitry and all that type of stuff. Like, is like, what is it? What is the market going to look like for a for a printer in the in the in the near future? I think printers are the 3D printers are getting to be in the same world and realm as cell phones. To be really? perfectly honest, yeah, I think so. I think that'd be the best analogy for it. Hmm. Like the one that I like, like the yeah, like I have an anycubic photon. I know my 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 printer is so outdated and slow by comparison. And I bought mine what two and a half, three years ago, something like that. And the ones that they have out today are five times faster than this. Like Bern, Bernard was saying earlier, you know. But yet this one is what works for me. I mean, I have no problems with the speed or anything. It works. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, it's like like your cell phone. You could go five years without getting a brand new cell phone. You're going to be four generations behind, but you know, you're you're going to be able to still make calls and text and sure. do the things. It's just how fast are you going to be able to do it? I, I mean, that's that's the only analogy that I can come up with to be sure. honest with. And I think the model's a little bit too like, I mean, laser printers. I mean, they pretty much give the laser printers away. I mean, you can get a pretty decent laser printer for, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're spending, then you're locked in and you're spending, you know, a fortune on toner cartridges. And <laughs> right. that's where they make their money. I mean, they might, as well just, they might as well just hand the laser printer out to you and say, okay, you're now going to spend $10,000 over the course of that printer on our toner. And, I mean, that's the thing too with these... Um, resin printers is you're dropping three four hundred bucks but then it's the each bottle of resin you know and you go through quite a few bottles of the stuff i mean that's where the real cost is in this sure. i mean the, it's not the electricity it's the time and it's the material cost and sure. unfortunately uh one of the things we didn't talk about but one of the things that resin has as a disadvantage is it's quite a bit more expensive uh, than filament. So filament is great, you know, if you're printing a throttle pocket and it's yep. you know, relatively good for big bulky and it's relatively cheap, but I'm paying like $50 Canadian, which is probably like $35, $40 US, you know, for a bottle of resin. And that's, you know, you can get up to probably 80 bucks a bottle for some resins. Uh, so there's, there's that ongoing cost associated with the printing and i suspect that's probably where they make quite a bit of their money is on the sure on the consumables 
It's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bernard or, or James. Also, it, it it the the resin, like the resin that I've got right now, is, is just a basic gray resin. I can't remember the name of it. It's sitting over here, but uh, it 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 says right on there, "Do not reuse." So once you go through and make a print, it, that whatever didn't get used for that print is 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 basically waste is waste resin. It, it and and so are there is that are are some resins reusable some not reusable I don't I mean I, it depends I mean if you left it in there for 6 months you might have a problem uh, but I mean you know if it's in overnight or I mean I've left resin in the tray for a week and and come back and it's fine okay hmm. so I know I mean I think I I don't think you have to throw it out Okay. Well, I've been recycling the resin too. So uh, even though I just started, I'm still not completely through with my first bottle yet, but I've been recycling. I just take the extra, put it back in its bottle. I think in the future, what I'll do is I will take the resin that's already used and put it in an empty bottle. That that's way what I I'm started doing. The, yeah, that way I don't mix up the old and the new stuff. Yeah, because that way, yeah. if if the if the used stuff goes bad, I don't want it to get mixed in with the new stuff. And, and that's one of the reasons why I asked that is because of the fact that that's what I started doing is I started taking this the the used resin, putting it in a separate bottle, and the, and then when I go to make new prints, I just use that that used resin. And if the print doesn't work, then I do reuse the print with new resin, you know. And then if it still doesn't work, well, then it's me. Yeah. You know, but but I mean, it's uh, it, then I got more used resin. That's all. But uh, another another ornament for the fridge, uh, for the refrigerator. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm actually going to slap a magnet on this thing tonight. I think yeah. and put it in the. Fridge. I mean, I might, I I'd put that in a display case. That's it's. It all it's, started right here, baby. This is yeah, where it started. This is where it goes. <laughs> so I want to. Um, we're getting on to an hour and a half here, and I just yeah. I wanted to to make sure that uh, we, the folks in the chat, we got we're carrying about 40, 40 people throughout the whole chat. Um, if you guys have any questions for James or Bernard or or Bob or Mike, don't ask me about this because I don't know. Um, you know, why don't you go ahead and get them in the chat so we can get them up there? But um, I just wanted to give. Uh, our our crack panel here. Um, is there any topics regarding uh, that we kind of missed that we should really cover tonight before we start bringing her in to tie up for the evening? Yes, yes. Wear, wear gloves. Wear safety goggles. Okay, and make sure it's well ventilated, or you use a respirator, because um, you don't want to. I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about is it's completely safe if you wear gloves and eye protection. But this is not stuff that you want to slap around on the kitchen table. Uh, resin is toxic. It's nasty stuff. And for some reason, it gets everywhere. I don't mm. care how clean, you know, you will get this on everything everywhere. And it's not the type of stuff that you want to really inhale or get in your eye or get on your skin. So I think safety protection is really, really important. Sure. 
and it's fine. I mean, it's just wear nitrile gloves and you're fine. I mean, it's not nothing to be afraid of. It's not a reason not to do it, but, you know, give it a little bit of respect and approach it with, you know, you are playing with chemicals. So you want to, you, you don't necessarily want to go bathing in the stuff. You want to treat it with a bit of respect and use the appropriate safety gear. Yeah. And then just any, uh, just a good respirator that you can pick up at your hardware store, like in the paint section, yep. that type of thing, like a 3M. Yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, you know, vented. I mean, uh, for a long time, I had my 3D printer beside my uh, spray booth and I just ran the go. spray booth, there you know? Go. I mean, yep. you don't have to be, I see guys building, you know, fancy enclosures. And I mean, I don't think you have to get too precious with it. But I do think you need to have a window open or some ventilation. You know, sure. you don't want to be, you know, breathing that in for hours. I yeah. I, I put a directional fan uh, connected right to the back of mine. Uh, there you go. That that goes right up and it goes into a Y pipe that connects to my my spray booth and right out a dryer vent thing that I put in my basement window. And yeah. I and I still running both of those. I still get fumes in the basement. Yeah, so my, my, it, my wife and kids, not a lot, really, but, but my wife notices it. That's yeah. for sure. My wife and kids were really, really happy. I was up to about 10 machines and my wife and kids were really, really happy when I moved them out of the basement into a commercial space. Wow, and yeah. I don't think I or the machines are allowed to go back into the basement. <laughs> no, one yeah. thing that we haven't talked about that I just happened to think of, and Bob, okay. I, I want to start yeah. out with you. Uh, we haven't touched on painting a 3D print. Hmm. So, Bob, what is what is like just brief, kind of a, a the 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 uh, the uh, the Cliff Notes version of it? How how do you go through? in the process of once you get your three day print from Shapeways or whoever give, you get it from, what's yeah. the process you go through in order to make sure that you can use that you can paint it? Well, what, what I do is I use, uh, I typically print using Shapeways fine detail plastic. And, um, you know, quite often it comes with a residue on it, whether it's wax or I don't know what it is, but I usually remove that with isopropyl alcohol. And I, I try not to, to have the alcohol stay in contact with the, with the resin plastic for more than about five minutes, then rinse it real good. And, and once you do that, once you, you can visually tell if all the wax is, is off the print, uh, then it's ready for painting. And then what I typically do is prime it. And then if there's layering lines that are visible once it's primed, then I'll sand those down, lightly sand them. Sometimes it's a real pain in the butt to do if there's fine detail on the print, like, for example, door latches. Right. It's, it's, it yeah. can be a challenge to, to sand around those. And sometimes you, you just have to say, well, you know, it, how visible is the layering and, and how, much of a, how, how much effort do I want to put into to sanding those lines uh, smooth? Uh, in most cases... When you when you get it painted and primed and de or primed painted and decaled uh, and then weathered, 
you're you're not going to see the layering lines. Do you, Bob, I know you sent me a, a couple of pictures of some models. Uh, do you mind if I, I share one of those right now for the, sure, for the team? I'm going to sh- share the old Lehigh Valley oh, one. Oh boy, here goes more production stuff. Yeah, it's this hashtag. Is this is this, this is, is this is fantastic. Wait, yeah. Bernard James, th- wait till you see this. This is going to be great. So look at that. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's the uh, that's the the GP thirty eight dash two, and the uh, the Delaware and Hudson uh, inherited a bunch of these uh, as a concession of the Conrail merger, and uh, basically they put these things right into service. They uh, renumber, well, they patch painted over the Lehigh Valley um, in a in a very uh, I don't know what they used, probably <laughs> house paint or something, because it washed off pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so this would be a, 19, a circa 1977 locomotive that's probably been on the DNH about uh, I don't know a year, and um, they changed the number that the Lehigh Valley number was 324, and they put a seven in front of it. <laughs> they just put why seven on it. Number is offset under the cab, and they just stenciled on DNH on the side. But th- this is a uh, I would say 80% of this is 3D printed. The uh, the pilot step well uh, is all one 3D piece. Um, there's a, a 3D printed pilot plow. plow. The, uh, the short hood, the cab, the long hood is all uh, 3D printed. And um, the fuel tank is partially 3D printed. It was um, the ends and middle sections that form the curve of the of the fuel tank are 3D prints, but the uh, outside the fuel tank is a 3D wrapper and or a, a styrene wrapper. And the reason it's done that way is because, like I said, EMD every model different. Sure. Um, fuel tank lengths varied upon uh, varied by owner in terms of capacity. So, uh, you know. It, it could be as long as big as a three thousand gallon tank, and it would fit almost between the trucks. But smaller tanks, I think the uh, Mike, uh, you probably know this better than I do. But the Mal- Milwaukee Road had what seventeen hundred gallon tanks. That, that yeah, I think it's seventeen seventeen fifty tanks or something like that. I have yeah. I have mine right here. I, I just take mine right down here quick. <clears throat> yeah, mine's mine's kind of right there. Just give yep. me a second, Mike. I'll pull you back oh. up. Sorry. So you're, so you're uh, top top dog here. So that's and, and all it is is the ends are as you can see are clear. Yep. So those are 3D printed, and then they have the right profile. But then we use evergreen styrene strip, and then the outside is a wrapper of uh, twenty thousandths V groove. Got to have the V groove right, so it goes around the corner. Well. Yeah. Not only that, but if you get close enough to a prototypical locomotive, the fuel tanks actually have those little bends in them. Bends in them, so it it makes it a very prototypical looking uh, tank. Yeah, and it works out really, really well. And that was kind of one of the things Bob and I kind of brainstormed on that. I'm like, we were actually thinking about how do we do this with make all these tanks. And I, I think, but well, why don't? But I think Bob was the one that said, "Well, why don't we just make the ends?" 
I'm there like, that's go. brilliant. <laughs> and then we made baffles for the longer ones because yeah, of, right. yeah, we did. You know, we have baffles that that on the inside that have the profile, so that way you you don't lose structural integrity with the longer tanks. Right. So, so but, uh, Andy, back to the uh, to the the model itself. So, because Shapeways is relatively expensive, I think. Uh, and especially to, to build a whole locomotive in fine detail plastic. Uh, my intent was to, to build common elements, flat surfaces out of styrene. And so the, the deck, the walkway, and, um, you know, the frame is, is built out of styrene. Yeah. So, um, just built out of styrene shapes, the, the, the fuel tank is an evergreen tube with 3D printed ends. So you can make the, uh, the air tank as long as you want and just use the, the 3D printed ends to, to um, you know, make the connection for the piping. We 3D printed the, um, the uh, fuel fill, the fuel gauges, and the sight gauge on the side of the fuel tank. And uh, there is no EMD um, type M Blomberg truck available in S scale. And oh, really? The, the, the Lehigh Valley 7324 had the, uh, the M type trucks. So, uh, we created, um, 3d printed parts that took a standard Blomberg and added the dampening strut on the rear axle, the, uh, snubber instead of the, uh, um, leaf springs. And, um, you know, basically you could take a standard Blomberg and remove the outside brake calipers and add those 3D elements to it to get yourself yeah. at an M-type truck. So, um, you know, basically I would say this thing is probably about 80% um, 3D printed 3D print. commercial parts for the, obviously, the handrail stanchions and the couplers and the... Um, American models S scale drive system that uh, is the basic four axle drive uh, system. Wow. It's a remarkable model. So on the topic of painting Bernard with, with your products that you produce, is there any special, um, I guess, care that goes into the, the pre-paint step or is it just paint right no. out of the box? Ours are ready to roam, ready to roam. Ready to roam. Hashtag ready to roam. Um, we, uh, I, I like stuff to go out as perfect as I can get it. Yeah. So um, a lot of time and effort, probably too much, and I'm going to have to address it, is spent removing the sprues. Uh, and they're all washed, you know, in the isopropyl. So when you get it, you know, you've had a few, I think, in front of you. They're, they should feel quite dry they shouldn't they feel do. sticky yeah they're they're ready to paint and um i actually have a painting tutorial up on the mini prints uh website ah, okay uh, down at the bottom of the website you'll see something that says uh painting clinic and i mean to to sort of boil it down to three steps really easily um i'm a big fan of rattle can primer yep. um i hate getting the airbrush out because I spend about 30 seconds airbrushing and about 10 minutes cleaning. So um, I think, you know, just a good super flat Krylon and Rust-Oleum uh, make 
um, a really good, uh, they call it a camouflage. And yes. the nice thing about the camouflage, I usually use a khaki camouflage. It's dead flat. And I just give it a really, really, really light mist. And I think it helps if you, if you put the spray can in uh, some warm water for about five minutes, yep. you can get a really fine mist that's almost airbrush quality out of a rattle can. And then I just go at it with acrylics. And I think that the, the key with painting with acrylics, and I saw um, a question earlier about brushes. Yes. The key with acrylics is really, really fine washes of almost, I almost call it painting with water. So I get, I use something called a wet palette and a wet palette yes. will absolutely change the way you, you paint. And if you, use a wet palette and you water down your acrylics to very, very thin and apply it, let it dry, apply it, let it dry. Uh, you get really good control and you get really nice coverage. And that's it. That's it's, it's basically the wet palette. It's the spray can rattle primer. And then it's painting with, you know, very, very, very thinned out acrylics as opposed to just globbing it on, which, right. you know, we all want to do cause it's fast but it's not necessarily good. Yeah. You cover up a lot of detail that way then. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get it done in a night, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, that's the key for me. And uh, I find that they're, you know, really, I mean, I enjoy that. Oh, the other thing that's absolutely critical, the most important thing, if you're not, if you're older than James anyway, is, uh, <laughs> I need I need an optimizer. I mean, I can't do anything without this. Yes. You know, like yep. I can't, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, I almost find that the brush is less important than than this. The thing. optimizer. Yep. I've yeah. because I've broke yeah. down and got a pair of the sexy gogs as well. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Mike said we can all wear ours at the same time. Yeah. There um you go. but yeah, no, the optimizer is critical. And then it's just, you know, um, the other thing I do. I don't know whether I have one in front of me, but I, I've cut a bunch of, oh, here's one right here. Oh, hang on. Um, I cut a bunch of wooden dowels. I've just got some parrots sitting on this one, but I just, <laughs> I, I always paint on a wooden dowel. So if, if you're holding a dowel and then I don't know where I probably have a paintbrush. Around Look at those. Side. Those are amazing. <laughs> but you know, if you're, if you, if you're holding a dowel, and then you've got a paintbrush, and this is obviously a pretty crappy paintbrush, but then you've got something to rest your hand against, and it's that bracing, right? Yep. So, you know, they're little, and this is all just, you know, thank you, YouTube, right? There you it's go. It's just, you know, there's, there's, I've learned a lot, actually, from the war gamers. They are miles That's, ahead oh, of us. Oh, man. Yes. Tell miles me. ahead of us in painting. Those guys yeah. in the World War II people. Yeah. The military yeah, models. The, army, the yeah. army armor modelers, and then the the uh those those tabletop gamers those war warhammer painters warhammer oh exactly google warhammer uh on uh youtube and the painting clinics that come up i've learned so much yep uh, by watching those guys that's where i got my wet palette from is yep. a, it's an army painter war games wet palette so. yep totally yep squid 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 master whatever there's one guy out there Squidward, yeah. 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 He's Squidward. like one of my favorites. I learned yeah. about so many tips from him. But yeah. it's just, you know, it's the optimizer. It's practice. You know, right. a few tricks you pick up online. Yeah. There you go. So 
so we've pretty much covered the whole gambit this evening from from uh, I guess inception of of our three D print or our model all the way to the fact that we're all old as dirt except James. Well, yeah, <laughs> let's let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. But you know, we've we've covered we've covered that topic. We've covered you know uh, building the design, printing, and then what do we do afterwards? You know, with the the cleanup and the and the actual uh, painting of the model itself. So I guess um, before we haven't got a lot of questions from the chat, um, but I do want to give our panel just one last round before we kind of. Uh, close up shop for this evening. Any other topics that we want to get out there? Any questions or things that we've left unturned uh, that we want to just get out, get some light on for the folks out there listening or watching on the replay? Split Rock there says, uh, has a question out there. It says, what's a good cleaning product to prep for primer? And uh, I think we touched on it. isopropyl alcohol. Is there a specific 70%, 90%? I, I've usually used 90% is what I've always used. I don't know if that's too harsh, but. Yeah, same here. Yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. leave it on for, for a long time. Yeah, just don't leave it. Yeah. yeah don't you let know. it linger, right? Yeah. yeah, don't let it sit in there because it'll get real brittle and it'll get just make your resin really nasty. Okay. Um, so that great. Um, so what I'll do is I'll pass the microphone around uh, the room here um, just for any closing thoughts or comments about 3D printing. Um, so, James, we'll start with you. Um, what, what are your thoughts on... All the topics that we covered this evening. Well, first, I want to make sure I'm not cutting out again, so no, you're everybody good. can hear. Oh, right? You're good. You're good. <laughs> and you're uh, gone. And he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. All maybe right. We'll... Thanks. Thanks, yeah, James. Good, good work, James. That was <laughs> the best job, comment James. Yet. That was... oh, here he comes back. Oh, holy cow! That was that's. He's back. Seriously, Seriously. that was that was Don't... good. Don't you ever hang up on us like that again. <laughs> the production quality here on the second section podcast is top notch. Oh, you know, it's the best internet uh, broke guy can buy. So there you go. Yeah. So any, any thoughts there, James, before we close up shop? Well, first, just in case I do cut out again, thank you both Andy and Mike, as well as our uh, guests there, uh, Bob and Bernard. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, as far as thoughts on 3D printing goes, I think we're going to continue to see it explode in popularity, at least for the next few years. Uh, I don't think it's a fad. I think it's going to be one more tool in the modeler's toolbox, and certain people will take advantage of it and be able to use it to their advantage. And others will keep going along there with the existing tools and you know modelers tend to figure out what's best for them on a personal yeah. level so go. this is just one option out there of many that can improve your modeling and i hope a lot of people take a look at it yeah uh, uh, other closing remarks i have i didn't bring this up but i do have a new website called homestake models i'm not intending to make this a full-fledged business however i do plan to have two different pages one is going to be downloadable files that are specific for modelers. So things, you know, simple things like a power pole, a street lamp, fences, uh, garbage cans, you know, the kind of stuff that you see every day on the street. I want to make those files available free so they can be downloaded. And yeah, I've been working really hard on that website last three weeks. That's as far as I've gotten so far, but it'll continue to be updated here. And then okay. the second thing that I plan to do with Homestake Models 
is I want to take a lot of the Black Hills prototypes that are still in existence, things like compressed air locomotives and the 1880 train equipment and stuff we have in the museum. I want to be able to take that stuff, make models not just for myself, but make them for sale. Yeah. And I, I'm still, yeah, still getting to it. Uh, I'm still experimenting, so I have no idea how uh, far it'll take me on that. But <laughs> I, I do plan to keep that website going for quite some time here as far as, uh, you know, building it up. I'm going to try to make that kind of my digital home base, so to speak of. There you go. Very good. And again, hashtag not sponsored. So yep. um, good good luck to you, James, uh, with that. And um, again, for anyone wishing to follow James on Homestake Models, I, I do have his website in the uh, description of the YouTube broadcast this evening, as well as the show notes on the audio replay. And the last thing here is I was finally successful in printing off this. I don't know if you'll be able to get it focused oh, or not. See. Let me see if I can switch you to the big screen here. There you go. Yeah, okay. I don't know if anybody's able to focus. Let me touch it on the camera here. Oh, yeah. There, there you go. go. There, that's perfect. So this is a model of Caboose 1208. People that have been on the Facebook page have probably seen some updates with that. But I finally got the body printed off. And next is going to be printing off the interior. This one's my reject, but I've completely measured the entire caboose just as a personal project here to see what I can do with it. So I got yeah. the body, the interior. I got the roof, which is go. still printed. Here's one of the rejects. There you go. Put that on your wall of fame. <laughs> oh yeah, that all, it's all going on the wall frame there. But anyways, it's still the experimental phase. But I'm happy to finally have the files done because that was a lot of measuring. Every yeah. little measurement on that caboose I tried to replicate, and uh, it's mostly an experimental process to see what's going to work and what won't on the printer. But I'm hoping it'll be a success. Yeah, well, it looks it looks good from here. So, uh, well done, James, Bob. Um, any closing remarks before we shut her down tonight? Well, well, first off, I have to get some of those bathtub Madonnas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no layout is complete without at least a couple of those. But yeah, um, that's for sure. And uh, and uh, you know, thank thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun, and uh, I really enjoyed some of the insight from James and Bernard. Um, I and, and until tonight, I I been very opposed to uh wanting to do 3d printing on my own and uh you know i i think maybe uh maybe there might be a little change of uh change of heart there and it may be something mm. <clears throat> given the price of uh of some of the the printers coming down it's something i may want to try on my own so thanks for uh for the suggestions and advice that you guys provide and who knows where it's where it may take us i think you know, basically from my perspective, being a designer, um, I think I've got some good designs. Um, and, yeah. you know, like I said, I have a love-hate relationship with Shapeways, but, you know, <laughs> maybe we can find a good alternative for, for that to that as well. Um, yeah, for sure. But I do have a Shapeways site for S-scalers who are looking for, for parts that you can't find anywhere else. You might want to go on to Shapeways and 
uh, search my shop. It's called Century Models. It's mostly uh, parts for EMD and Alco second generation diesels. Um, and my most my most popular selling item is uh, is a draft gear coupler adapter for uh, <laughs> American models uh, locomotives. American models produces S scale locomotives, but they uh, they uh, also make them adaptable to uh, American flyer operators that use those huge claw couplers. So the, uh, the adapter I created fits that, that gap and, and, and enables scale modelers to have a, have a uh, scale draft gear coupler box. So, um, but anyway, check it out. And if, if you can use some of the parts, they can be scaled to other scales as well. So, um, just having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yeah. And then Bernard. Well, it's it's been fantastic. Thank you. A lot of fun. Really great uh, panel with amazing, you know, conversation. So thank you for the invitation to join. Um, I'm going to be in touch with both James and Bob. I think lots of things to talk about. And it's, it's really fun to meet others in the hobby. And I, I find part of this, too, is that it's really fun to sort of, you know, bounce ideas around. And, you know, if anyone, I use my email as sort of my name um, because if anyone has, you know, wants to reach out, if anyone, you know, has any questions, you know, feel free to email me, me you know, at bernard at miniprints.com. Happy to, to chat. Um, always looking for ideas for models. Unfortunately, there are far more ideas out there than I have time for. And uh, I cannot promise that yours will be the idea that gets made this week, but I've got a big list of ideas out there and I'm always looking for a new uh, bonus points to the, you know, the more fun, weird, wild, different, you know, ones that aren't done before. Uh, so I have more to talk about next time I'm on uh, of the, <laughs> the weird things out there. Uh, yeah. The other thing I will do is uh, I just want to say that I go on YouTube um, once a month. So I have a regular first Wednesday of every month uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, on yes. YouTube, on the Mini Prince page. Yep. So just, you know, look up Mini Prince on YouTube. Uh, I'm trying to get to 1,000. When I go to 1,000 subscribers, I will put everything on the site off, 20% off for a day. So uh, I am looking, you know, if you're, if you're interested in the world of Mini Prince and seeing what I'm up to, um, I do a lot of rail fanning. I've got a live rail cam out my window that people like to watch the trains go by. So check me out on YouTube, please, if that's your thing. And uh, first Wednesday of every month, you will see what's new and weird and wild in the world of mini prints. And and I will say it is a it is a great live stream. I tuned in on this last one, and uh, it, it just so happened to prompt me to, to pick up that auger. When I saw it, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to have this. So, um, go out <laughs> there. Those and, in scale, Bernard. Yeah. Oh, well, every mini print, every single mini print is produced in, uh, H O S and O scale. There you go. So right. Everything on the mini print site will be produced. Hey, in S scale. Is produced in S scale. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's the, um, was it? It's, it's the scale with the identity crisis I was reading. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. In yeah no. We've always produced an H O S and O everything in the right. catalog and most. Oh no. Oh, oh no. His internet oh. Oh. 
Oh, we got we and most everything. Okay, most You're, everything. Yeah, you, you cut out just a little bit there, Bernard. Sorry, so, most everything and then. Yeah, most everything and then. Okay, so there you go. So, folks out there in the chat, I know you guys have been asking, uh, can you print that an O? Can you print that an N? Uh, there you have it. So, just make sure you contact Bernard at miniprints.com and he can get you the bathtub madonnas for your layout that i'm that's that's gonna happen i i have the scene in mind that's going to have yep. the bathtub i've already Madonna. got it i've got already got a half thought out already myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and and thank you bernard and and james and bob for for coming on the show taking the time i know it's run long about two hours but truly appreciate you guys giving sure. us the time and and, and walking through stuff with us. So I'm going to let Mike uh, give the give the last closing thoughts here before I shut her down um, for tonight. So Mike, what do you got? Well, I just want to remind everybody that, you know, if you've got your printer in a box and you're sitting there and it's collecting dust, you know, you spent money on that thing. Take it out and learn how to use it. You, you know, you bought it for a reason. So you, you might, there's no excuse to have it you, you know it's not going to magically work without inside the box right it, it, you know it, and and so take it out and if you make mistakes if you have failures perfect that's the way this goes you want to have failures because you failures are how you learn um there isn't a single one of us on this panel that that had the magic wand that had everything produced exactly perfect the first time we ever did anything. Um, here, case in yeah, point, this is that this is a Pullman standard car body or uh, <laughs> underframe. Yeah, that's no. So, but the thing is, is, is don't give up on yourself with it either. You know, don't just like, I think it was Bernard that said something earlier that said, you know, a lot of people, they, they have a failure and then they want to throw it away. Or maybe Andy was saying that, but yeah. it, it was, it, you know, they want to, they, they want to put it, they want to put it away and never touch it again because it didn't work for them the first time. Well, don't do that. Yeah. Right. You know, you know, you're by buying a 3d printer, you just became a maker. There you go. So enter into the world of making and learn how to make stuff and you won't regret it. it it's, it's great fun. And, yeah. and it's very, it's very gratifying to have something you design come to life, so to speak, and, and yeah. be touchable it's, and stuff. Yeah. You know, bringing it, bringing bring it. it into the real world. So yeah, yeah. that's what I got. Uh, other yeah, than that, I, awesome, awesome show tonight, I thought. Oh, this really is good. very Thank good, Bernard. Guys. Just print it. Well done. Yeah, there Hashtag you go. Just Hashtag just print it. That's, <laughs> got, that's a T-shirt right that's there. That's a T-shirt right there. Speaking <laughs> of T-shirts. Nobody said a single thing Nobody tonight. said anything. Nobody has um, said anything. Hey, what a segue, huh? What a segue. Uh, look at that. Here's the T-shirt. So, yes. We, we're printing out, uh, or we have the ability to make second section podcast t-shirts. So if anyone out there in, in, in the section crew wants one, um, just let us know and uh, we'll see if we can get enough demand put together to get these put out for everyone. So just let us know um, if you guys want a shirt. Um, and, and, and Mike and I will, will entertain. We haven't the, talked about price or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, we haven't that. talked we about just, price or I nothing just made, 
we just had yeah. these made for the two of us made for, for right shirts, now. so but i think it's going to be a thing so yeah again um so so basically we'll uh we'll pick up on on the normal cadence again in in two weeks um we'll be back on youtube in the live stream i'll get the audio feeds out there for uh last uh last podcast as well um i think burnout's out there right now and uh just just as a uh a, a note to our our guests here tonight thank you again this has been a fantastic show um great great commentary questions thank you to the crew uh tonight we carried about 30 40 almost 50 people in the chat the whole night so great show um for everyone and again um thank you thank you thank you and we'll talk to you guys in two weeks have a good night good night night, thanks good night good night